0: You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Thank you, Jason. Good morning. Happy Father's Day for sure. How many grandpas we got out there? Because that's a different deal. Let me see the grandpas. Grandpas, stand up. Come on because we just became a grandpa. It's a pretty cool deal, isn't it? I have a peanut, and peanut's about 20 months old, and we just love peanut to death. Yes, she does look like a peanut. That's why I call her peanut. How many grand grandpas we have in the church? Aha! Well, we'll look forward to that day, right? Book of Malachi, last uh, book in the Old Testament. We're in uh, a series, and we've titled it Keep yourself in the love of God. And folks, that's a directive, a command that comes from the New Testament, the book of Jude. Keep yourself in the love of God. And what that means is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what a beautiful way to live life. We've already learned that we were redeemed for covenant love relationship, and that the biblical metaphor. The most intimate metaphor in the bible between god and his children is christ the bridegroom the church the bride it doesn't get any more beautiful than that and so my topic this morning malachi chapter one it's a question are you giving god your best And really it's the best of love or your leftovers and that's a really really core question in chapter one A number of years ago, we had our three young adult children in college. For those of us in that season of life, you know what that means. Our twin boys were in private university, Christian college, and our daughter went through community college. Uh, As the bills came in each semester, wow, it added up over four years. I will not taser you with the amount that we invested in their education, but it was a big deal. But as I thought back on that season of life, helping the kids get through university and community college, I thought how easy it was. Writing big checks, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, any given semester, those were big checks. But it was easy. Why? Because if you love someone, You always want to give them your best. And so our boys had beautiful education at Christian universities. Our daughter went to two community colleges, got two degrees. We're so thankful. I hope when you read the Bible, you see a litany of people who literally gave God their best. So I want to just do kind of a a little bit of a... uh, survey of the bible starting with genesis you have an individual whose name is abram remember god's call in his life hey abram leave everything that brings you security a world-class city Ur of the chaldees leave your family leave your property leave it all behind pack up and go to a land by faith that i will show you he had no idea where he was going and he did all in how about noah Sometimes we gloss over what Noah went through. You ever been down to the, uh, to the ark thing in Kentucky? If you haven't, this is cool. Actually, this is a real uh, ark, and it's patterned after the biblical dimensions. It is astounding to get a tour of that. But Noah spent how many years, students? Who can tell me? Just say a lot. How many years, students? All right, a lot, that's right. Adults, how many years? A lot. a lot, 120, 120. I'll be in heaven before that number's hit. Noah spends 120 years building this vessel, and it's real, those are to the dimensions in the, in the Bible, to do what? God was gonna bring judgment. But God gave the people 120 years to repent of their sins and, and trust the Lord by faith. First Peter says he preached righteousness, but no one listened. Every sermon fell on deaf ears, but he was all in. How about Esther? Again, a teenager. Married to a king in the largest empire in the world, Persia, 127 provinces and she risks her life to save her people from genocide Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, I like those guys, not going to bow down to your idols, your pagan gods you're going to pay for it if you don't they did, they were in a fiery furnace who met him there, Jesus it's quite remarkable and then you open the pages of the New Testament and there's another teenager profiled, her name is Mary she's 14, 15 years old and she's shamed in her community. she shunned in her community. Joseph was thinking about divorcing her because why? She was unfaithful until God intervened in dreams and visions. No, she's impregnated by the Holy Spirit. She gave birth to the Messiah. Here's what Mary said in the Magnificat. She says, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm all in. Beautiful. And then we went through the book of Acts. And part of the book of Acts is dedicated to one man, Paul, and his mission effort to do what? Fulfill Acts 1.8. To take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And what does Paul do? He's shipwrecked. He's flogged. He's in prison. Oh, man. Twice in prison. Rome and Caesarea for two years each. And Paul says, Philippians 1.21, I don't count my life dear because I have a love relationship with God through Jesus Christ. When you love someone, you go all in. On your screen is a really cool passage from Paul, and I think it sums up the biographies of these people who loved God so much. Paul says this, Christ's love compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all so that those who live, notice, should no longer live for themselves. But for the one who died for them, And was raised and so because of Christ's love we go all in we don't live self-centered we live God-centered we live Christ-centered why because he loved us first John we love him because he first loved us now one of the primary themes in the book of Malachi is this that God deserves our best However, before God challenges us to give him our best, what does he do? Last week, he reminds us that he loves us, and then he has a beautiful picture. His love is a choosing love, a drawing love. It is a purposeful love. He loves us so we will declare his name and gospel and glory to the ends of the earth. And so before he calls us to give our best, he pours out his love for us. Jesus Christ. What a blessing. And so I want to conclude that the only reasonable response to God's love is that you and I will give our best. And so sadly, we come to a passage this morning. I hope you have your Bibles open. Malachi chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 6. We come to a passage that's the antithesis, the opposite, if you will, of what we just talked about. The people of God are closing off the New Testament, 430 B.C., after all God had done for them, redeemed them from slavery and bondage in Egypt, made them a covenant people, gave them the holy word, gave them the promised land, blessed the socks off them. And you know what's happening? Half-hearted love, compromised love. Their hearts have gone cold against God. They're not giving their best, folks. We're going to see... They're giving their leftovers. And so the question all of us have to do this morning, by his word, by his spirit, is to ask God, where are we in our love journey with Christ? Do we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Or are we giving God our leftovers? I hope you have your Connect card. I want to share with you the blessing. It's this. Because of God's great love for us through Jesus Christ, we should give the Lord our best. That's just reasonable. He's poured out his love at Calvary. So let's give him our best. So three bests this morning. Number one, give God our utmost honor. Look at verse six and on. We read, a son honors his father, a servant his master, and then notice what God says. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priest, he's calling out the leaders, the worship leaders, who show contempt, disdain for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? If you're taking notes, I really want to encourage you. The word for honor in this passage is very important in the Hebrew. It's uh, kbed, and it literally means weights. So don't think in terms of overweight, too many pounds. Think in terms of heavyweights. Uh, a person who's very important, influential, a person who has great significance and value in your life. That's how God should be to us because of his love, because of his redemptive work. But what happened to Israel? They didn't look at him with that kind of honor. We had looked at him with disdain. They were doubting and questioning God's love. And boy, the relationship, of course, was struggling. So when you think about how Israel viewed the relationship with God, one word came to mind. They devalued it. And when you devalue something, that's a huge thing in a relationship. So let me give you a picture of devaluing. 1987, I'm living in Israel, studying. I had a, a, a friend, teacher, professor, Gabriel Bachai, and we're walking through the streets of Jerusalem. And this guy was just really cool. He's written up everywhere. He just, uh, he's just a cool guy. And all of a sudden, we come across what's called a repository in the northern part of the city of Jerusalem. And the repository is about the size of this room, as I recall. And guess what it's filled with? Shekels, coins, Israeli currency. And so I'm like looking at this, and I'm like, you know, we just stooped down, we're picking up all this money. We felt like, wow, we're rich. Felt like Narnia, that one guy who got all the gold. I'm like, this is a good day. And Gabi's just laughing at the students, and he says, guess what, guys, a few years ago, the uh, Israeli currency was devalued 1,000%. And Jim, you know way more about what that means than I do, so here's the little bit I know. It would be analogous if you had $1,000, right? And by the way, we used to print $1,000 bills in America. I've never had one or seen one. Anybody know what the president is, is on here? Just be good for your history. Go ahead. Close. It's a weird name, Grover. Yeah, Grover Cleveland, way to go. So they stopped printing that in the mid-40s. But just imagine, you got $1,000 that day in your left pocket, and then it flips, the currency gets devalued, and guess what it's worth? $1. That's what happened. That's what happened with Israel. Can you imagine? Again, I love you, says the Lord. Really, how have you loved us? Well, I chose you. I blessed you. I redeemed you. I gave you my word. I gave you a promised land. I've done some great things. And yet all of what God had done, they devalued. And friends, that's a really difficult place for God's people to be in relationship with the Lord. Now... Look at verse 6 again, because how they treated, and you'll see this all through the argument in Malachi, God will say something, and they respond. And the sarcasm is just over the top. Look what happens. Malachi 1.6, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? There's a self-righteousness there. It's a dishonorable response. And how sad it was. So you know what God does? He appeals to two things. appeals to common sense. The first appeal is he's appealing to the fifth commandment. And what he says comes right from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. He says, listen, sons honor fathers, daughters honor fathers, children honor parents. If that's true in human terms, how much more so the children of God should do what? Honor their heavenly father. If you can't capture that, a servant honors a master, an employee, an employer. How much more so should we, God's servants, honor the master? And so the sad thing is, they just weren't doing it. And so it's Father's Day, kids, and I want to just give you kind of an encouragement. The fifth great commandment is what God appealed to. And when the Bible says, honor your father and your mother, he means it. You know what it means? That your parents have significance in your life. That they are heavyweights. When they speak, when they encourage, when they correct and instruct, when they say, hey, the tablet, the cell phone, the computer needs to be shut down, what do we say? Yes, mom and dad. Sometimes there's big smiles on their face right now. All but one, he's taken it to heart. Love it. The younger younger kid to the right. But think about it, folks. God appeals to that which was so important in the Jewish community, children honoring parents. And children just like you want, or parents just like you want your children to honor you, God wants us to value him, to esteem him, to exalt him, to lift him up. To make him the most significant thing in our life, to make him that spiritual heavyweight, if you will. However, they compromise that. And so, I want you to think about what's at stake here. And really, everything's at stake regarding how Israel, who was supposed to be a light to the nations, responded to God. You see, in the Bible, names have great importance. In other words, I can't even overstate how important names are in Scripture. We don't get that, right? In the West, my name's Keith. A, I have no idea what Keith means. You don't either, right? Keith is Keith. What a weird name. In the Bible, it's just the opposite. When you're given a name, and then if you get name changes, what happens? It has great significance. It gives you identity. It gives you weight. Let me give you a few ideas there. Abram was changed to Abraham, which means what? The father of multitudes. He became the father of many nations. Sarai was changed to Sarah, meaning the mother of nations. Jacob became Israel. What does that mean? Having power with God. Remember, Jacob wrestled with God. And then Simon Peter became the rock. And upon this rock of faith, I'm going to build my church. Names really matter. And here's the deal, folks. If they do in human terms, how much more so in God terms? 20 times in Malachi, God refers to himself as the Lord Almighty. Please don't miss that. He's the Lord Almighty. He's also the Lord of armies, meaning he's fighting for Israel. The battle is the Lord's. Why? He wants us to live victorious so our light will shine. So now look at Malachi 1, verse 11. Let's talk about God's name, the significance, the importance of honoring it. Malachi 1:11. For my name will be great among the nations, from the rising of the sun till its setting. Incense, pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place, because my name will be great among the nations, says Yahweh. Look at verse 14. For I am a great king, says Yahweh of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Now, the skeptic could read that and say, "My goodness, what an egotistical God, folks!" It's just the opposite. His name is great. He should be worshipped. He should be honored. And here's the encouragement. If you miss this, you miss what's going on in Malachi. Jesus taught us to pray. His disciples came. Lord, teach us to pray. Let me show you something. Because from Malachi 1 to the Lord's Prayer, here's what we read in Matthew 6. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, notice Father, And what's the first thing? Your name be honored as holy. Why is that number one? Why is that given priority in the Lord's prayer? Here's why. Because the next prayer is aligned with his holiness and his great name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what Malachi is teaching. Here's what Jesus is teaching. When you and I honor God's name, when his name is great in our life and in our midst, when he's not devalued, when he's a heavyweight for the church, guess what's going to happen? His kingdom's going to come. His will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the gospel, folks. The gospel was at stake in Malachi chapter 1. Because they were devaluing God's name, all the nations around them were looking on with mockery. They didn't see the light of God's glory. They didn't see that Israel was blessed to be a blessing. It was just the opposite. They didn't see the gospel advancing, they didn't see God being elevated in worship. They saw just the opposite. And as a result, what happened, the influence of Israel was so limited. And so, friends, a few verses to encourage you to honor his name. So his kingdom will come, his will be done, the gospel will be advanced. Look at Zechariah 14.9. I love this. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. That's the gospel advancing. That's Acts 1.8. On that day, there will be one Lord. Notice this. It's so cool. And his name the only name. One of the things that breaks your heart when you travel into various countries and you see other deities being worshipped, pagan idols, other gods, gods of men, it breaks your hearts. There's too many gods out there, small g. You go to India, you go to a first world um, fabric store or clothing store, and you walk in, there'll be a huge idol, Ganesh welcoming you, and being worshiped. What does Ganesh do? It brings prosperity to the store. It's one of their many idols. It breaks your heart. There's coming a day, the prophet Zechariah says, there's only going to be one name. That's Philippians 2, right? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His name someday will be the only name. And we can bring that name to the forefront today. So what does that mean for your life and mine? Let me encourage you. Here's what it means. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount the same way, let your light shine. Israel wasn't shining. Their light wasn't even dim, folks. Their light had gone out. They were devaluing God. Let your light shine before men. Why? There's a purpose. So that they might see your good works and do what? Don't miss this. And give glory to your Father in heaven. When you give God glory, you're standing in awe of him. You're honoring him. You're worshiping him. You're making him a heavy weight. You're valuing him in your life. So your light and mind, like Israel's could have been, can have an impact. The kingdom coming, the will being done. You know, I like Israel, so let me share with you a story from Jerusalem that really kind of brings this whole honor piece together. The Christians in Israel take this very serious, God's name. And they know they're one, in one of the most difficult mission fields. Why? It's really difficult to penetrate long-standing Judaism. And then, of course, all the nations around them are Muslim, and some of them are very hard and very antagonistic. So let me introduce you to a gentleman. He lives in Jerusalem. His name is Jonathan Miles. And many of the Muslim countries around Israel have children born with heart defects, these little babies, these tiny ones. And those other countries don't have the first world resources like we're accustomed to. And so he began a ministry, it's a beautiful ministry, Shavet Akim. I would encourage you to go online. It's remarkable what they're doing. And they minister to Iraqis, they minister to Syrians, they minister to the Gaza Strip. If you know anything about the Gaza Strip, that's where Hezbollah and Hamas is, the two terrorist organizations giving Israel the most trouble. Here's a Christian man bringing in medical service, caring for children with unique needs, and God's working. So one day, picture this. Jonathan's down in Gaza. This is enemy territory, folks. This is a tough place to be among the Palestinians. I can't even get in there when I go. So he's there trying to bring medical relief to bless families, to bless children in needs. And he's waiting to meet the child, waiting to meet the family. And there's this huge Palestinian who kind of got in his face, what are you doing here? And he kind of pushed him around, bullying him verbally and, and really kind of harassing him. And so finally Jonathan said, well, I'm a Christian and I have this ministry and we're trying to care for children who have heart defects, and we're here to perform surgery. Just like that, folks. This hardened Palestinian, anti-Christian, anti-Jew, had his heart softened. He says, follow me. They went from home to home. They found the family and the child, and the rest was history. This was a guy preparing to be a part of Hamas and Hezbollah. His heart was softened because he saw the witness, the light of Jesus Christ, And guess what happened? Jonathan and this gentleman became friends, and he is sharing the love and gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Friends, that's tough ministry. So what does it look like in your life and mine? It's real simple. God, because I love you, because you're great, because you're magnificent, because I want to put your glory and gospel on display, I'm going to live light-filled. I'm going to bring a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. I'm going to share Christ in word and deed. Use me, Lord, today, right now. That's the privilege. Israel devalued. We have the privilege to value, to decrease, so Christ increases in our life. May it be so. Best number two, giving God our heartfelt worship. Our heartfelt worship. By the way, why don't you stand with me, because this is a longer passage. Get your blood flowing. And I'm so proud of these students down here, a lot of note-takers. That's so cool. Grayson's not taking notes, but he listens good, right? Yeah. See, me and you. We got this special relationship, so I can, I can call you out, right? You, you call me out every now and then? All right. All right, 1, 6 through 10. Actually, we are buddies. We are buddies. This, this guy loves the Lord. He serves the Lord. Malachi 1, 6 through 10. Yet you ask... How have we despised your name? And notice what's going on here, folks. This is really hard stuff. Can you imagine God saying this to you, saying this to when saying this to his church? By presenting defiled food on my altar. You ask, how have we defiled you? When you say the Lord's table is contemptible, when you present a blind animal for sacrifice. Here's what God says, is that not wrong? And when you present a lame and sick animal, is it not wrong? He's appealing to them in love. Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Ask the Lord of hosts. And now ask for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us since this has come from your hands? Will he show you any of your favor? Any of your favor? Ask the Lord of hosts. And this next paragraph, guys, is shocking here because how important temple worship was, how central worship was to Israel. Here's what God says. Things were so broken in their love relationship. He says, I wish one of you would shut the temple doors. Let's contextualize that. It would be like Christ saying, why don't you just shut Westwind's doors, lock the doors, forget about worship. Sound harsh? I don't know. But it got so bad, God became so devalued. They came and they were just going through the motions. It was just routine. It was half-hearted, ugh, it was horrible. So shut the temple doors, so you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept no offering from your hands. Please be seated. So what's going on here? I can't go into all the details, but when you read the Old Testament, here's what you're going to discover. As an act of worship, the Old Testament law required people to do what? Offer sacrifices. It was just part of worship then and in Jesus' day. What were the sacrifices about? To pay uh, for sin, it was a a picture of the coming atonement. It was a picture of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It was a picture of what John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So part of the sacrificial system, yes, was, was an atonement for the sin in real time, but it ultimately pointed to the most important thing, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were mocking, ultimately, what God would do through the sinless, unblemished lamb, Jesus. So what kind of offering did they bring? My goodness, it's sad. Blind animals, lame animals. The text says animals that were even stolen. How could Israel even comprehend that they would get God's attention and they would honor him in worship? And so Hebrews says this because so much was at stake again regarding our great high priest, our sacrificial lamb, Jesus, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Track with me. He says, every priest stands day after day, ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. So what they did back then was, again, prefiguring Christ. And it was so polluted. But notice, but Jesus... After offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, and this is beautiful, Jesus has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Friends, think about the difference between Israel and the church. Year after year, sacrifice after sacrifice, blood after blood, Jesus now, the sinless, Blameless Lamb of God, sacrifices life once for all. We look back and we say hallelujah. We celebrate him. We worship him. Our love should flow out of the finished work of Christ at Calvary. What a gift God has given. So what happened? Israel fell prey to temptation to bring God a worthless sacrifice a worship offering, a worthless offering in worship. And so we have to ask the question for the church. Do we ever fall prey to that kind of temptation? I don't know, folks. I don't, I don't want to point fingers. I can look into my own heart sometimes and see that I have come at times half-hearted to worship. I've stood there singing songs, blah, blah, blah. You ever come to worship and you're more concerned about the watch that it's 10.35 right now and Keith's only on point number two? (laughs) I have, I'll be honest, right? I know some of you aren't like singers, It's like, oh, man, four songs this morning. Three, Tyler? Tyler, corrected me, just three. Why so much emphasis on the Bible? The Old Testament, it's so confusing. And we have all these thoughts. And we drift to what's going on after church and lunch and the roast and golf and whatever is next. And we're not all in. I'm not pointing a finger, folks. I'm looking in the mirror here. I read a story this past week. Let me share it with you. Um, it took place between a pastor and one of his congregants. It comes from a large Gothic cathedral in Vancouver, British Columbia. The cathedral has a colorful stained glass windows that were donated after the Second World War in honor of men and women who gave their lives. The windows illustrate pictures of soldiers. One day, the pastor overheard a little boy asking his mother, Mom, who are those people in the stained glass windows? Mom said, those are the people who died in the service. And the little boy said, Mommy, would that be Sunday morning or Sunday evening service? (laughs) Now, here's the encouragement I don't think I've ever seen anyone, but I have seen folks check out and I've been part of them. How do we, dear friends, give God our best when we come to corporate worship? How do we prepare during the week and even Saturday night to come Sunday morning to give God our best in corporate worship? You have to figure that out, I know I have to do. I know one thing I always do, always. I just have to get up early, and and just meet God and get calibrated. I just have to. If I don't, if I'm rushing, I'm in trouble. One of the things we did some time ago at Westwood was create sacred space for our servants, sacred space in worship so we could pray together, we could relax, we could enjoy fellowship. Why? So we're not rushed into God's presence. I don't know. Think it through. Worship is a privilege. They didn't give God their best. They gave their leftovers. Let's be different. Let's give God our best. Let's go all in. Now, a few application points. And uh, just as encouragement, there's so much we could say about corporate worship. But can I give you a few verses? Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. Check it out on the screen. Here's what Hebrews says. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God notice this next phrase, a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips that confess his name, don't neglect to do what? To do what is good and share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. You know what a sacrifice of praise is? Just testifying of his greatness, standing in awe of God, Ecclesiastes 3.14. We call it here at West Wind God stories. But I'll tell you, when you sing, when you when you just give your heart to God through song, there's something beautiful about that. God inhabits the praise of his people. And how about this doing good thing? Sharing, being generous with each other, our time, our treasure, our talent, and touch. This past Thursday, we had a really cool question, and I thought it was beautifully answered, but I want to add one caveat. The question was, how can we be more of the body of Christ to care for each other in real time? And one of our elders responded and says, you know, this is 1 Peter 2. We're priests. We're all called to do this thing. But you know what in Scripture? There's 33 one another's in Scripture. Let's do some popcorn one another's this, this morning. Give me a one another in Scripture that you and I could apply even this morning to do what? To do good, to share. Go ahead. I'm listening. God's listening. Got a one another? Yeah, confess your sins to one another. Very good. Keep going. Bear one another's burden, burden, so fulfill the law of Christ. Keep going, nice and loud. Love one another. another. That's three. We got 30 to go. It could be noon. It could be noon. (laughs) Yeah. Love your parents. Very good. We, we got that. That's one another's. Forgive one another. Admonish one another. Pray for one another. I mean, the list goes on and on. Encourage one another. Build one another up in this most holy faith. 33 one another's. Boy, if we just did one tenth of those any given day, what a blessing. That's why, and I, I just want to jump because of time, John, if you would, to Ephesians 4. Let me show you this. Talk about application to corporate worship all bitterness anger and wrath shouting and slander must be removed from you along with all malice notice this and be kind and compassionate to who one another what a great way to do body life to do worship forgiving one another just as god has also forgiving you in christ therefore be imitators of god as dearly loved children and walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us. And notice the final phrase, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. That's worship when you live like that. When you implement the one another's, whether it's at a coffee shop or mowing a lawn or here in corporate, it's part of our worship. And it's pleasing to God. And what a joy. Now finally, best number three giving God our prized offerings. Look at verses 12 and 13. We're going to close out. But you are profaning it when you say, the Lord's table is defiled and its products, its food is contemptible. You also say, look, what a nuisance. And you scorn it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring stolen lame or sick animals. You bring this as what? As an offering. And then God rhetorically says, am I to accept that from your hands? Ask the Lord, of course not. He's not pleased. He won't accept it. Friends, your life and mine, period, is an offering to God. The question is, is it acceptable? Or are we giving God our leftovers? And so I would suggest this. The ultimate test of how much we love God, value his name, worship him in spirit and in truth, is the kind of offering we bring. And so... Scripture is filled with beautiful offerings. I won't go there because of time, but if you remember the uh, gal, she was a widow, Jesus highlighted. People were giving a lot, rich folks, dropping in all kinds of coins, big accolades. And here comes a widow. You know what she does? She drops in a penny or two. And Christ highlights her as being someone who went all in, who gave why she gave her all. We have that kind of privilege today, to give God our all. But the question we have to ask is, do we give God our leftovers? And friends, again, I have to think first for Keith, for my family, and they ask questions, okay, Keith, where are the leftovers? Could it be that, oh, you enjoy an hour, hour and a half of news and then five minutes in the Word before you go to bed? Is that giving God leftovers? Could it be that we pour ourselves out into our employments, our vocations, which we should, right? Do everything unto the Lord, but then we come back in church and maybe we just sit and we're sidelined. We're not getting our hands dirty for Christ. I don't know. God has to work that in yours. Are we giving him our best or our leftovers? We're affluent. We know that, right? We're in affluent America and Waukee's pretty affluent and our surroundings. And so we enjoy a lot homes our vacations our cars or this our hobbies we're generous with ourselves. are we that generous with God again I'm looking in the mirror I'm not pointing a finger but we have to take some assessments to see if God is getting our first fruits our best and so let me close with this Paul, writing to the Roman church, gave 11 chapters of theology. And based on 11 chapters of theology, he has two verses that sum up what we talked about this morning. Stand with me. I'm going to read that. Jason, uh, Dean, you can uh, prepare yourself. In fact, can you see it on the screen? I'd like to read it with you. Would that be okay? This is a summary statement of everything he taught about God's great work through Jesus Christ. And then he says, on the basis of what God has done for us through Christ, here's how we're to live. Can we read it together? Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. Folks, this is what Jesus prayed. Your name be holy, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. When we live like this, when we offer today our lives a living sacrifice, it's a holy sacrifice, it's pleasing to God, and it's an act of worship, notice the reality, You're going to prove in your life and I'll prove in mine the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. There is no better way to live life. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you. Timeless truths. And we want to humble ourselves before your throne of grace, Lord, and say we need you to live out these beautiful truths. We want to honor you, Lord. We want to make your name great in all that we do. We want our light to shine. Father, may it be so. We want our worship to be pleasing and acceptable to never, ever, Lord, give you leftovers. I pray, Father, Romans 12, 1 and 2 on Westwood. May our lives testify of the great work that Jesus Christ has done to his glory so your will be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.